Hello and welcome to Future Thinking from Stylus. I'm your host, Christian Ward, Head of Media and Marketing at Stylus. And today we're going to be discussing the London Design Festival. The event this year coincided with the global climate strike, which saw around 100,000 people attend a rally in central London. Sustainability was one of LDF's key themes, but its actions perhaps didn't always match up. So we're here to find out whether organising events on such a scale is viable in this time of climate crisis. To discuss this, I'm joined by Max Fraser, journalist, author, curator, and also deputy director of the London Design Festival from 2012 to 2015, and Davy Pinati, Silas's senior editor of Product Design, who reported on the event for us. Our coverage went live on the Stylus website just a few days ago. So to start with, um, not all of our international listeners will be familiar with the London Design Festival. So uh, could you sort of explain its importance in the industry? Yeah, I mean, the London Design Festival is now in its 17th year. And by virtue of the fact that it's still going, it's uh, something that's considered very successful and has grown incrementally since it began in 2003 as an event that was hinged around the main train fair 100% design, which took place in West London. And it was initially a bunch of people who didn't want to be in that environment, who wanted to perhaps do something in a disused space or without paying the large overheads of a trade fair, who started to run events around the city. And they were very incoherent uh, and difficult to find, a little bit underground, if you like. So the festival came along as a way of kind of bringing those together, uh, and adding some communication and coherence. Um, and of course, as a result of that, events have grown and grown and grown so that today there are something like 300 events taking place all over the city, covering everything from furniture, product, um, lighting, uh, materials, um, you name it, kind of everything that comes under the umbrella of design. So Davey, from a stylist perspective, what, um, what do you view as the kind of importance or influence of LDF? We look at it for um, different elements. So we report on lifestyle trends where we look at how design projects tell us about the future of how we live, what we find important. We look at um, very tangible colour material brand um, trends. We look at furniture, lighting and home accessories cues. Um, so looking for tangible inspiration. And then we look at brand experiences where we look at how brands use this event as an opportunity to kind of um, display their expertise and um, get customers involved in a different way, in a more maybe cultural um, way. So, Max, as I, as I mentioned, you worked for the fairs organisation, but last year you wrote quite an opinionated article for Icon magazine. Um, perhaps you could talk through some of your criticism and, uh, and explain you know, where you think the, uh, the event should be heading. Well, I'm a Londoner, uh, and I grumble about the scale of this city quite a lot and how difficult it is to get around. And so weirdly, this this will sound sort of perverse, but the London Design Festival is almost a victim of its own success because it's grown so much and so spread out, spread out around the city that actually it becomes really difficult uh, to navigate and get, get around the place. So I was moaning about that, how I spent all day on, on the tube and, and, and getting from A to B. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, we talk about growth as being this very positive thing all the time. But actually, is there a point when it, we've hit too much? There are too many events. And actually, a lot of the events 
are, are not of particularly high standard um, because they're relatively cheap marketing for large brands to showcase something. So, you know, it's an opportunity sometimes for a showroom to throw an extra chair in the window and call it an exhibition. So actually as a visitor, that gets can be quite frustrating because you traverse the city and then you get there and it's like, oh, not great. Um, so, so that was one of the things that bothered me. Uh, and then, of course, um, it feels a bit old guard as well. It feels like there's a lot of the same names, a lot of the same sort of established talents, um, often pretty privileged um, individuals who get the same commissions and the same awards and all the things that we see publicly. Uh, and actually, we're in a crisis um, where the city has become so expensive that the creative industries are struggling to survive here rents being what they are going up all the time how do we retain that talent in the city and if we don't use a festival or an event like the festival to support those talents then they don't necessarily need to be here they could go elsewhere uh, and we could lose the reputation that london has so my call was like come on let's support a younger generation the unknowns and by the way uh build in a bit more diversity so that's what you think needs to change. How do, how do you go about doing that? It sounds to me like there should just be a separate event that you, you know, we, could, we could have an a, a up-and-comers sort of LDF. Is that something that's on, you know, in, in, on the horizon, do you think? Well, you know, people want to be part of the main fold. Mm. Uh, they want to be included in, in the marketing material and so on. But, you know, you could say, right, let's just boycott it completely and do something else, which is quite a sort of British, anarchic, rebellious um, attitude, which I, in some respects, would, would support. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Um, I mentioned it's cheap marketing for some brands. If you're a young designer and you want to be listed in the guide, you, you're talking about several hundred quid just to be in it. Um, so I think some bursary elements... Uh, whereby you know the, 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 the you know young talents can I don't know submit something to be judged and 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 then they get free entry or um, you know and also the festival commissions installations which we'll probably talk about shortly but those could be designed by a much younger unknown group of individuals rather than what feels like the same kind of names each year. Yeah, I think it's really right what you say that there's almost too much going on. Um, in a city that's so big, it feels like there's too many events for people to really come together, all be at the same place at the same time, which I think is what these design weeks are for, especially if we want to champion young designers. Um, we actually spoke to Rosanna Orlandi, who is um, an Italian gallerist and whose gallery during Milan Design Week becomes a real temple for design um, and who showcases a lot of young designers. And she said as well that um, Design Weeks should be about meeting people, learning from each other um, and having those conversations that don't happen um, over email. So maybe we can listen to that quote. The Design Week are really the moment where there's concentration of project, of people, of buyers, uh, of designer, and uh, they become more and more important because uh, we work a lot on uh, the network, but uh, you have to see. And what is very important is, uh, as well, uh, the change of ideas. Uh, festival means uh, to meet a lot of people, to change and to... Because I think that, uh, that with the dialogue, uh, you grow up every minute, uh, you learn every minute, uh, the change of ideas. And it's different uh, on uh, directly, personally, than on uh, yeah. the new on technology. TV. Yes, uh, 
it's a different approach. Yeah, and, and I absolutely agree with that. There is a huge importance in coming together and actually people coming out of their offices and studios and talking to each other, comparing notes, critiquing each other, these kinds of things. I, I suppose that's all very well within an industry context, but um, you know, when you try to involve the wider public, which the London Design Festival has, has valiantly aimed to do through its hub venue at the V&A, through installations in very public spaces, um, I still think it's probably, I mean, I'm, in, I'm within the game, so it's hard to say objectively, but I suspect it's probably still quite difficult to understand what the hell's going on in this festival and where to begin and where to start and who are the names and brands and you know it doesn't doesn't mean anything um so that's a you know eternal challenge uh, and one way the festival has tried to do that for many many years is to build these kind of showcase installations that are um often take up public spaces or, or large and have a spectacle or a spectacular element to them as a way of attracting people as a way of putting something right in their path and saying look this is design um you might not know what that means but here's a little taster of it and so that's a great attribute of the festival what was um um, what was showcased this year that you saw in that regard um yeah there was an installation i enjoyed by designer called paul coxedge um and i can't remember what it's called Please be seated. Please be seated, yes. Yes, please be seated. And it was a sort of undulating, um, extru- uh, uh, how do I explain, Un- undulated kind of bench that went in a circle. There were three rings um, coming from a centrepiece and they were replaced uh, just by Liverpool Street Station um, in a high traffic office area. So, you know, at lunchtime it's swarming uh, as a place for people to sit and rest. And actually, it had a very positive effect on a public space, I think. And it's yeah. kind of a shame that it's temporary. That's well, exactly the, what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah I think the, the most point. the most um, successful installations were actually highlighting some of the shortcomings of our urban architecture, mm. um, places to sit, to relax, places for greenery. Um, and I think that these installations, there's so much money, time invested in them that it feels like, it feels quite wasteful that they're only temporary and, you know, next week they're removed. Um, so I'm wondering in that sense if this is the best we can do in design to put this effort in, to find this money, um, create these public um, installations, but then take them away again when we just show, like, this is how good it could be. Um, could we change that? Yeah, I mean, the, you know, use the word wasteful, which is, you know, kind of the thing that's on everyone's minds right now and and there's this very uncomfortable relationship I think right now where we all know that we're producing too much, we're discarding too much. Uh, Sustainability has become this kind of buzzword which was bandied around ad infinitum during the festival as it should be because you know we have a crisis on our hands and you know to your point about wasteful installations I totally agree it's like is this a responsible way of communicating design or should we find better, um, less wasteful, less material intense ways of communicating ideas. It's a business model, I should add. So actually, the, you know, what we, which we should point out is that all of the installations are paid for by somebody, of course. So there's brands behind them and so on. So the brands want to throw money at something. They want the spectacle. They want the Instagram hits. They want the front page on the newspaper. Um, but equally, they often shroud it in mysterious and slightly confusing words that drop in key 
buzzwords like sustainable and you know and so actually there was quite a vacuous message quite often with a lot of these sustainable projects yeah i think there was one in particular that got one of our experts quite worked up um i don't know if i should name drop it absolutely (laughs) yeah (laughs) it was um please take the plunge was it take the plunge by virgin cruises um it was talking about capturing the spirit of adventure, of journeys at sea and a sunset on the water. And when you got there, it was paper tubes in different lengths hung from the ceiling and um, on the floor, and they were dyed orange. And they were saying, it's, it's, you know, it's environmentally friendly because these can be reused after the event. And <laughs> I think everyone was a little bit like, this is not what we should be doing you know, design is about problem solving, especially in this time we have enough problems. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, Virgin Voyages, yes, uh, you might want to look at your carbon footprint, my dear friends. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, I want to come back to this point, but um, I just want to take a quick break now so that we can hear about uh, a stylus event coming up soon uh, Decoded Future in New York. If you're listening to this episode before the 18th of October and you happen to be in or around New York then, Our flagship innovation event, Decoded Future, will be returning to the city on that date. This is your chance to see the most important consumer and cross-industry trends brought to life, alongside future-focused ideas, advice, and revelations from the creative industry's brightest minds. Get your tickets now at decodedfuturesummit.com. So let's talk a little bit about who was doing doing it well when it came to sustainability, Davey. I think what was interesting this year is that after years of sustainability being the concern of young designers um, experimenting, um, showing conceptual projects, new materials, this year there were quite a lot of manufacturers showing how to put this into practice when building commercial furniture. Um, We saw this in people taking out plastics, using recycled materials in their upholstery, in the inside, in the in the inner workings of, of, of the furniture, um, using clean upholstery, not using any toxins, um, engineering out waste. Um, so I thought that was really interesting and that also definitely gave it a more of a luxury edge. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas before, you know, we've been talking a lot about algae and uh, and this felt very doable and, um, you know, it's now reaching a commercial industrial level. Yeah, if I can just add something about sustainability, you know, this word, I mean, I mean, we're all seriously overfed this word, right? And it's become quite vacuous, I think, in many ways, over, overused, overabused. Um, <clears throat> and I sort of think it's come to mean just less bad. So we always talk about like improvement and making things better, but actually everything that we make and add to the world has a footprint. And arguably we could stop making a hell of a lot of things. So we've got this very uncomfortable relationship between commerce and the need to keep the cogs turning uh, and a, a very strong need for change. And it's very uncomfortable. It makes people um, not quite know what to do and they feel a bit stuck. And I think if you're going to look at an event like the London Design Festival as a sort of barometer of what's going on, that incongruous kind of uncomfortable dynamic between commerce and change was really evident this year. So yes, I'm with you on some some, um, you know, individual companies who are making improvements to the way they do things. But I don't think we're asking ourselves enough, do we actually need these, uh, these things? So that's an interesting question. So, you know, 
how can LDF address that? What is the future for an event like LDF in a world of, you know, climate crisis? Is there one? <laughs> I mean, I've got this sort of romantic notion that maybe next year nobody will make anything and there will be no commerce and nothing for sale. And actually the whole festival will be dedicated to conversations like this um, about how, not, not just like, oh, isn't a problem, we must do something about it, but actually... Oh, we the the house is on fire. <laughs> like, let's do something. What are we going to do? And and actually, I think it's such a daunting subject that we all feel like a bit numb to it. Like, what can I possibly do as an individual? Uh, and I'm a big believer that whilst we're waiting for our politicians to stop <clears throat> doing whatever they're trying to do, and and of course we're all hoping for policy change because that's where you see great change that business responds to. Uh, I'm a big believer in the individual making change. <clears throat> so. You know, we can all vote with our wallets. We can all vote with our feet. Uh, we can boycott certain things, um, and we can rebel a little bit against this kind of perpetual machine of production. Um, and and I think also when we talk about the festival, it's important not to necessarily point the finger at the organisation of the London Design Festival because, of course, they are a small team trying to do a great job, and they do do a great job. Um, so I think it's important to just say that the festival is this the wider industry and. It's very disconnected still, um, and we need to be working on uh, perhaps more localised change on, on projects that have a small impact somewhere specific. Um, uh, and I think if everyone's doing their bit, then we're all working in the right direction. The fashion industry is actually asking quite similar questions with their fashion weeks where everyone kind of travels the globe for at least a month every every six months. Um, and the Swedish Fashion Council announced in July that um, they were scrapping the fashion week that was due to take place in August because they want to look for a more sustainable solution. And um, this London Fashion Week Extinction Rebellion was was also campaigning to, to stop fashion week. So I think in a lot of different industries, we're trying to find an answer to... Um, this kind of business model we've all grown so accustomed to. Mm. Um, and it's almost weird that in a time where there's so many ways to communicate, we still all want to come together in one place, which is also, of course, still it's still a business about people, so that in but that sense it's understandable. It, I mean, it's also worth remembering that we're overshadowed by the, by Brexit, <laughs> right? So, uh, But, I mean, it's a very real reality, particularly this year. You know, we're about to leave the EU and there's a lot of businesses that are worried about that still and the uncertainty it brings. Uh, and actually, a lot of things that we're talking about to improve business needs to come through investment. So, you know, are we going to see the kind of investment that we need? Probably not right now. So let's hope we find a solution soon. <laughs> So, David, you, you, you mentioned there, you know, the, the impact that um, Extinction Rebellion is having on the fashion industry, for example. We've talked a lot about, um, you know, design and the luxury sense that's come out of LDF. Uh, the luxury industry is a big part of the problem here, but obviously they have the creative resources and the money to be a big part of the solution as well. Did you see that aspect emerging from LDF this year? Yes, and as I said, in, in, in one way, it's in material innovation and improving processes. In another way, it's also changing um, how we see luxury. I think the aesthetic and perspectives of, of luxury are really changing. Um, so it was interesting. I spoke to Paola Navona, who's a, an architect, product and interior designer with a career spanning about 50 years. 
She started off working with Etora Sotsa, so now collaborates with brands including Baxter, which is incredibly luxurious leather. Um, and I asked her where she sees the future of luxury um, headed. And uh, she pointed out some new markers, so maybe we can listen to that. To me, luxury today is more and more in the near future. Instead, of, it's not adding gold or, or leather or marble in top of some other marble, some top of some other gold. You know. Luxury is uh, light, is a space is a feeling that you have in a, in a certain kind of environment. My luxury is somewhere else, probably less uh, bold, probably more um, understated, or much more um, sophisticated in terms of uh, texture, material, feeling, light, relationship between the material together and space yeah. is the real luxury. It's very interesting because I have a client calling me after many, many years say, oh, you don't have an idea how uh, good we feel in this place. And a lot of uh, them has this idea of being in outside the real world, outside of working time. Like uh, they are in holiday also, if they are in the middle of Rome or in the middle of... So, so that's, that's nice. Lots of food for thought there. I think LDF um, hopefully has a, a, a bright future in terms of addressing these issues. Um, and I'd like to thank my guests, Max Fraser and Davy Pinati. And thank you for listening. I hope you join us next time for more future thinking from Stylus. 